Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Today, I asked Abby Kleckner to come back on the show. Abby has become a regular voice on the podcast and has also been a regular contributor for our blog. We received some great feedback about our article, The Pacifist Case for Gun Rights. So who better than the writer of the article to go more in depth about it than Abby? How are you doing today, Abby? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just uh, enjoying a day off work and trying not to sound like I have allergies raising my head. It's not COVID-19. It's, it is allergies. So in your article, you talk about, we see this as pacifists. So when we see this question come up a lot, or we're accused of this a lot, that is it one argument against pacifism that we're advocating for inaction. You mentioned in the article that this doesn't mean closing your eyes to evil and setting back, doing nothing while horrible things happen. Being a pacifist means very actively working towards peace. You want to expound on this a bit? Because I think it's important to understand that pacifists are not just sitting around on the couch, not paying attention to what's going on. When you explain that we are actively working towards peace, that's important because we are being active and we're not hurting people in the same way. Yeah, like I've heard people say, Well, loving my neighbor means that I'll come to their defense as an argument against pacifism, which which I agree with that. I would just say that self-defense doesn't have to mean violence. Um, And if you're seeking to bring the kingdom of God, you can't do that by increasing the violence in the world. And so stopping someone from being violent through violent means is you kind of engaging in the same behavior. And so Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not like the peacekeepers or the hiders or like peacemaking is an active verb. You can't just, I don't know, not cause drama and say that you're a peacemaker. Sometimes you have to cause drama to be a peacemaker. You just do it nonviolently. And so I think where I've had some success kind of bridging the gap between people who say that you need to use violence for self-defense Because people will say, oh, well, so if someone comes and tries to murder your family and you're just going to stand there and let it happen because you're not willing to use violence to defend them. And I would say, "I'm, I'm not willing to use violence, but that doesn't mean I stand there and do nothing. I think everyone would agree that the best case scenario in defending someone would be to do it in a way where nobody gets hurt, not even the perpetrator. Even people who advocate for violent self-defense would agree to that, that, yeah, that's the best case scenario. So I would just argue that, like, well, yeah, so let's kind of spend time thinking and planning for making that best case scenario happen. Like, if you, you know, have a gun and spend time thinking about if someone breaks into my house, how fast can I get my gun make sure you are able to aim for like the right body parts for a kill shot or whatever. If you're spending time doing that, I just think if the best case scenario is that you don't have to shoot anyone, then how about you spend equal, if not more time practicing, well, how could I diffuse this situation without anyone getting hurt? What are ways that I can defend my family without hurting anyone? What are ways that I can recognize not only is it loving my neighbor to defend them, but it's the perpetrator of the violence is also your neighbor and you have to be loving toward them too. And even being a peacemaker has to exist outside of those directly threatening situations also in advocating peace in the world in general. Like I think this podcast is a way that we can be peacemakers and advocating like ending war and pacifism in certain episodes. And so those are ways that we're actively being peacemakers in the world, hopefully convincing people to rethink wars of the United States, rethink doing things like joining the army or becoming a police officer or anything like that. 
And then, you know, being out in the world, serving your community, serving the poor, it's sad, but people in poverty are more likely to commit crimes just because they're more likely to be in desperate situations. So if we can be out serving people so they don't find themselves in those desperate situations and bettering their lives, you know, like helping out with kids and youth groups, helping to kind of guide them. Like there's a million ways you could be a peacemaker. And then I always think of the civil rights movement and how they were peacemakers by stirring up trouble. And that was a lot of the criticism that they got that, the, oh, you're rocking the boat, you're stirring up trouble because they would do those sit-ins and marches and um, they did it all completely nonviolently. And they did those demonstrations to expose and shine a light on, you know, horrible atrocities that were happening and to create justice and um, put an end to those horrible laws that were in place at the time. And they did have to kind of stir up trouble and make people uncomfortable to do that. But by not being willing to return violence for violence, they made a bigger impact and a lasting change and a more immediate change. So I think another reason people are critical of pacifism is because they think like, well, that's not going to, again, you're doing nothing. That's not going to get anything done. That's not going to stop evil things from happening. Uh, You have to kind of fight fire with fire. But I would argue that, especially if you really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we are called to bring God's kingdom to earth, we have to use God's methods to do that. And because we're working in sync with God, instead of using our own violent methods to kind of take care of things ourselves, we're going to be more successful. People can say that the ends justify the means, but I would say that the means are what creates the ends that you actually want. Well, I love that you brought up the the civil rights movement because in, in your article you talk about uh, you bring up the letter that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote from jail in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. and this is one of my favorite examples of standing up to injustice while being a pacifist. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about in the past with Rosa Parks, yeah, you know. Standing up to injustice while being a pacifist. There was no violence involved except on the governing side. Now, they were obviously being violent, but on the the people on the civil rights movement on that side, they weren't being violent. And yeah, I love how they handled this. I love how they handled this because, and I wanted to ask you this do you see the way they were reacting to the injustice? Do you see this as an example of submitting to government authorities as explained in Romans 13? Absolutely, because they understood that the consequences of their actions could be that they would get arrested or they would get, you know, beaten by the police or have fire hoses turned on them. Like they understood that those powers of government were in place and they were willing to submit to those consequences because they felt what they were doing was we're standing up for and we're suffering for. So they were shining a light and not being obedient to government, but shining a light on injustice while at the same time submitting to those authorities. And I I think a lot of Romans 13 is, is just addressing the Jewish sects at the time, which were kind of advocating for a violent uprising against Rome, throwing off Roman authority over Israel and Paul was really speaking to to those new Christians in Rome that, you know, we're, we have to submit to these governing authorities that, again, you can't accomplish the kingdom of God through worldly means. You can't end violence by increasing the violence in the world. So he was just advocating that they not have a violent uprising. And I think, yeah, the amazing example of the people who are in the civil rights movement is is exactly how we are supposed to accomplish God's purposes for the world. Like what they did to restore the world and like honestly do God's work in restoring earth to what he originally created it to be, I think is like miraculous and amazing and everyone should follow that example. From what I understand, Martin Luther King Jr. was adamant about not hitting or, or violently reacting to this. 
He was telling the people that were following this movie, we're not going to, and some did. Some, I mean, I can understand the frustration on, you know, I mean, Oh yeah. Good grief. If somebody was telling me that I couldn't go use their restroom or drink out of their water fountain, or even if I did, I was going to be attacked. I could understand wanting to react to that in a violent way. Absolutely. I mean, I understand that, but he was adamant about, we're going to stand up to them, but we're not going to fight them. So if you look at the wars that we're involved with, when we haven't even been attacked, but you understand how those people are reacting to us bombing their countries, they are reacting back violently. I mean, we have a long road, you know, to get to where we we're talking about now, but violence brings more violence. So when you violently react, you're going to get more violence back. It's not like if you react violent, they're not going to stop being violent towards you. Yeah. I even tell my kids this when they're fighting with each other. Like, you have to make the decision that you're going to be the one who's going to end it, that you're going to be the one who's going to create peace in the situation. Like, this relationship is more important than getting even or, you know, out in the world that showing love is more important than getting even. And it's more effective, too, because, yeah, I mean, people just keep getting even and keep getting even and or with the United States military that we have like preemptive striking even where like we're going to get even before they even do anything. <laughs> before we were even attacked. Yeah. <laughs> Does it make any sense? All right. So also, and I, and I hope I'm, I'm saying the, the name of this book correctly and I'm, I'm probably not, but you, you talk about a book called less miserables and I'm, I'm probably not saying that right. Yeah. It's French. So if you want to be very French, you say Les Miserables. Yeah, I don't think I could pull that off. <laughs> I'm not I usually call it Les Mis. Les Mis. All right, we're going to call it Les Mis. All right. <laughs> I'm not familiar with this book, but you brought it up in the article. And I'm curious to how you believe this equates to this article. Yeah. So it's funny. Reading the letters of Martin Luther King and reading Les Mis, I think, are the two most fundamental things that contributed to me becoming a pacifist. So Lame is, is, it's just an amazing book. It was written by Victor Hugo back in the mid 1800s, translated to the miserables because it's about these like miserable people existing in poverty. And he was writing about the period between the two French revolutions. So I don't know how much you know about French history, but they had one revolution, which like dethroned the royalty and Napoleon was like the main military leader. And so he be ended up becoming emperor of France for a short period of time. And then he ended up being a pretty totalitarian dictator and through military conquest ended up taking over a whole bunch of Europe, but then started becoming defeated in more and more battles and ended up being finally defeated at the Battle of Waterloo and then getting exiled himself and the French royalty returned and set up the monarchy again. So Lamez takes place in that period where the monarchy had been reestablished and Napoleon had been exiled. So there had been so much political upheaval that there was just like a ton of poverty going around. And really the theme of the book is kind of the law versus grace. So um, the example I give with the bishop in the beginning, which the story opens with Jean Valjean getting out of prison and meeting this bishop um, who shows him kindness for the first time in his life um, and offers him up all of his possessions after he had already stolen from him. Basically, just like giving a criminal who had intended to take everything he had freely giving him everything he had just to show him that he was loved and he had a soul and that told him that he was buying his soul back for, for good and for God. And that doesn't even change Jean Valjean right away, which is interesting because I think a lot of times we can get caught up in like, well, you know, I'll give to somebody, but if they don't turn around their life right away, then it wasn't worth it. And, you know, some people may never turn their life around, but I still think it's always worth it. But he ends up like immediately after that, stealing from a little boy. So you're kind of like, oh my gosh, well, this bishop did this like amazing act of generosity and it didn't even make a difference. But then after that, he kind of like is still thinking and figuring it all out. And it ends up, it does turn his life around. 
and he does start living for God, but he has to also live as a fugitive his entire life. So the story of the bishop, I think, is one that really exemplifies pacifism and just having a way of being in the world. Because he never like comes back to the bishop and is like, oh, thanks, I did turn my life around. Like That's just how the bishop lived, regardless of what happened afterwards. That was just like his life policy. And it, it even goes into detail in the book that, you know, the Catholic Church kind of sets the bishops up to be royalty, but all the money that he was given to live off of and have like a fancy house and fancy clothes, he just gives it all to the poor. So he lives in relative poverty. And there's these two other women who I, I guess are like nuns for all intents and purposes that live with him. And they all do their like ministry together. And he has a policy of never locking the door. He wants to always be available in case anyone needs help. But the women he lives with are uncomfortable with that. You know, they still fear like dangerous criminals. So he he's willing to the section of the house that they live in, put a lock on that door so that they feel safe. But he is still always has his door open to anyone who may need him. And I thought like that really struck me as a great example, too, because just like giving grace to people who are not at the same place you're at and not comfortable with the choices you may make and um, kind of coming up with a compromise where like, okay, you guys don't feel comfortable with that. I'm going to make sure you stay safe while still having this open door policy. It goes a lot into detail about the bishop's life and it's all just like amazing to read. But even more than that, like I'm such a huge advocate for this book. Like a couple movies have been made about it, which are not so great. And then also a like extremely famous musical, which is awesome. Like I've seen it, I think like five times and listened to the soundtrack all the time <laughs> because I love it so much. It's so great. But I think reading the book makes the musical even more enjoyable because you understand like the background stories of everything that's going on. But the the main villain in the story is a cop. So there's a lot of interesting themes like Victor Hugo is obviously not an anarchist. Like there's a whole section in the book where he's advocating for compulsory state run education. So obviously he's not an anarchist, but there's a lot of interesting themes about, I guess, how rigid the justice system is and um, not having grace for people. Like basically, so Javert is the police inspector who is, basically hunting Jean Valjean for his entire life. And he adheres to very rigid principles about like people are either good and follow all laws or they are bad and they break the law and that, and he sees people in those two categories. So you see um, examples of him just like not showing any mercy. um, And he follows Jean Valjean his whole life and ends up kind of having this, um, epiphany where he realizes that Jean Valjean, even though he has been an escaped convict on the run for his entire life, is actually like a really good person and that putting him in jail would be detrimental to the world. And so he has this kind of like crisis of everything that he's ever believed in and then, spoiler alert, ends up killing himself over it because he just can't kind of hold hold the two contradictions in his mind that somebody who had broken the law and been on the run for this amount of time could actually have been a good person. And that putting that person in jail was not a good thing when he had felt like he was doing God's work his entire life by putting criminals behind bars. So it's, it's a really, really interesting story. I think there's like a ton of great themes, like we're totally getting off of pacifism, but it, there's so much great stuff in that story. I recommend everyone read it. It's a really, really long book, but everyone should read it. (laughs) Well, that's cool because when you, when you talked about him noticing the contradictions between the law and how this person was acting, people are are, are ready are are all about legislation to try to correct somebody's uh, behavior, and that doesn't work, man. We've we, you noticed it time and again that just because you pass a law and you put somebody in a cage does not mean that you're going to correct their behavior. I don't know if it's ever worked. Right. Or or even all the the consequences of, of doing that. Like it destroys families. There's like in the 
Henry Hazlitt's book, Economics in One Lesson, everything is about seen and unseen consequences. And if you only focus on the seen consequences, there's a whole ton of stuff that you're that you're missing, that you're not seeing all the damage that's being caused. Well, think about what we're what, what we're witnessing right now during this recording. You know, we're still involved in this this COVID nineteen nonsense. Mm-hmm. Think about what we're seeing. There is a child watching his father or her father get arrested in a park for playing catch with each other. Right. How is that going to affect that child? Right. When you have children going to church and they're watching their pastor being arrested. People in this congregation watching their pastor being arrested or or I don't guess he was arrested at church, but there was an arrest warrant for him holding a church service. Think about what we're seeing right now. It's like you said, the unseen consequences. If what's happening right now does not make more bad Romans, I don't know what will. Because if you can't look at how the government is reacting to people just living their lives, man. Right. Going to a park and playing catch with your child and you're getting arrested for it. That is ridiculous. And this is a, this is America. And people talk about we're, we're free. Now, come on. If you look at this, the thing about it is people are applauding it. And that's so upsetting to me. And that's the biggest frustration that I'm having with all this is the applause that is coming behind people being arrested for playing catch in a park. Yeah. I mean, this does not make any sense. Right, exactly. Or you hear about people ratting out their neighbors, that they're not social distancing enough. It's like it's really been eye-opening for me. I'm like, oh, okay. So this like I remember learning about the Holocaust in fifth grade and becoming like borderline obsessed with it because I could not wrap my head around how it was possible that that would happen. And so like, I was like a super weird 11 year old girl. And like (laughs) every time we would go to Blockbuster, I would be renting like Hitler documentaries because I just wanted to understand like, how, how do you get from like point A to point X? How do you get to the point where everyone's willing to just like go along with the system? And I, and then the same thing when I later years when I learned about um, communist Russia, like, oh my gosh, how do you, how do you get to the point where everybody's informing on each other and the state has this power to just like disappear people in the middle of the night and and I feel like right now I'm like, oh yeah, this is how it happened. Like it, it's easy to scare people, and when they're scared, they do not care what the government does. They want them to do something. And it's like, it doesn't even matter the damage it caused. You just have to do something about this thing I'm afraid of. It's really kind of terrifying and very eye-opening. And I I hope what you said is true, that we have more bad Romans out there than like people who are snitching on their neighbors. But I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, just, just judging by conversations that I've had, people are sick of this. Yeah. And they are waiting, you know, they may not ever become an anarchist or a voluntarist or whatever, but maybe they'll start voting for somebody different than the two parties or, you know, that's how, maybe that's how it'll start. I don't know. Yeah. Or even just like taking the government less seriously, having, having more of a kind of a critical, skeptical mindset. Make them obsolete. Make them obsolete. That they We don't need them. And somebody told me the other day, we need them. They're supposed to protect us. I was like, these people steal from us. They kill people and they lie to us. And you want those (laughs) folks to, to protect us. Come on. Think about what you're saying, man. You let's, 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 let's think logically about this. You're asking a government to protect us when they actively steal from you. They actively kill their citizens. They actively kill people in other, in, in other countries and they lie continuously. There's not one true word that comes out of their mouth. I'm convinced that every time they open their mouth, it's a lie. I have no trust in them, and I never will. That's why we follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is the king. Christ isn't going to lie to us. Christ isn't going to kill us. He's not going to steal from us. Let's follow that guy. Let's follow somebody who has our best interest at heart. Exactly. He is actively working for our best interest. The government is not. Stop. Stop supporting them. They do not care about you. I apologize for my rant, but (laughs) no, I'm with you. (laughs) This is frustrating to me. Hey folks. 
Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right. So after all that has been said, the title of the, the article is The Pacifist Case for Gun Rights. Now we're going to get into gun control. <laughs> you also question, how does the idea of gun control play into all of this? Would a world of peace, love, and justice not include guns? Maybe. The thing it wouldn't include is violence. That is impossible to get there through violence. Do you want to go? You want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So basically, I think even if people, it, it's hard because it depends where somebody sits on this issue, how how they think about it. But like um, people who really advocate for gun control do it because they want to save lives. That they want to end violence. They want to save lives, and like. Yes, they totally have good motives behind it. So what I'm trying to point out is if you just make an arbitrary law that that makes a certain kind of gun illegal, you know, it it doesn't magically make those guns disappear. It doesn't magically make people stop owning them, especially criminals who are breaking the law anyways, like murder is already illegal. You have to break lots of laws if you're going to kill people. But creating a law that makes something illegal is basically saying, I want the state to be violent on my behalf against people who are breaking this certain law. So although the intent behind gun control laws is to reduce violence, creating laws like that increase violence, and not just against people who would hurt people with those guns, but against peaceful, innocent people who just own guns for, you know, whatever reason. And I would say, falling into question why a person owns a gun, you're getting into dangerous territory. Really what I would say is if if you are assuming, well, no one needs to own that kind of gun, anyone who would must be wanting to hurt someone, you're basically um, assuming you know someone else's thoughts and then making that person a criminal based on what you're assuming about their thoughts. So... Gun control is essentially thought crime and creating violence against people, peaceful people, for what thoughts you are assuming they're having based on what they purchased or inherited or whatever. So this is interesting because the original intent behind the Second Amendment is to be able to defend yourself against a, a tyrannical government. It has nothing to do with going and hunting. The reason they put the Second Amendment in there is so we could defend ourselves or, or should be able to defend ourselves against a tyrannical government because the tyrannical government are loaded down with guns. They have more guns than, than we know of. But the whole point behind the Second Amendment is so we could defend ourselves against those people. And when you're advocating for gun control, you're giving the government authority to use guns to take other people's property. So... You can't, you can't on one hand say, all right, I want gun control because it's going to save lives and it's going to uh, decrease violence. I see a lot of arguments with, uh, as far as how the police treat the black community. And there's a, there, there's a lot of merit in that. But these same folks are asking the same people that are treating this community by force, you're asking these people to do the same to other people. You, I don't understand how they can't see this, 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 the hypocrisy in this. Right, exactly. Yeah, for for all the weapons to be concentrated in the hands of people who you are upset because they're committing systematic racism and violence against a certain race or class of people. Yet, yeah, advocating to concentrate all the weapons into their hands. And I would say... As far as the Second Amendment, again, I'm a pacifist. I think if we were to try to take 
guns and defend against a tyrannical government, that would be the worst thing we could do. And that our government is not going to be defeated by weapons of this world, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ acting to bring about the kingdom of God on earth to, like you said before, make government obsolete. But at the same time, yeah, violently disarming people, I I don't think that that is pacifism either. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you this, and we we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. This project started, in, you know, and even along the lines of my understanding of anarchism and becoming a pacifist, you, the, the, the things I've learned from you on pacifism has changed my mind on a lot of things. So this is your fault, Abby, that I am the way I am today. I blame you. And <laughs> I'll accept responsibility. That's okay. <laughs> Let's see. You also mentioned that the best way to limit gun violence is to make guns more difficult to own legally. The problem with this approach is that in the name of peace, it increases violence. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that that yeah goes into what we were just talking about, that, that all laws are basically saying do this or the government will come and hurt you or lock you up, take you away from your family extort money from you, any of the above. And not to mention that these laws are not effective. Like we we said, you know, a lot of these guns are already illegal. Um, it's illegal to murder people. Um, but that that doesn't really stop people. Laws are, you know, it doesn't stop people. It's like we talked about earlier, legislative morality does not work. Right, exactly. Like if you look at the war on drugs or like prohibition in the 20s, it really, it destroys lives. Uh, the, the prison population is insane. We have the highest prison population per capita in the world, largely because of drug offenses, which are nonviolent, like basically non-crimes. There's no victim. There was no violence. It's just people owning a substance and that is arbitrarily illegal. And so lives are destroyed over it. That's one thing that I, that I had a hard time coming to grips with was the, the victimless crimes mm-hmm. because then we come back with, well, what about a DWI? I said, was anybody harmed in this? I understand that that person should not be driving a vehicle if they're inebriated. I get it. But who was hurt in it? Right. And now that person is spending thousands of dollars in defense and fines. Right. And all they need to do is just go home and go to sleep and, and sleep it off. Now, how many repeat offenders are there that are arrested for DWI? The first time you arrested them didn't work. The second time you arrested them didn't work. To me, it's like we are a revenue source for the government. And they find any way to, with these laws that they try to, find a way to extort money from us, you know, and it's the same thing with, with drug laws. If a person chooses to use drugs, that is none of my business. If that person is trying to harm me by using drugs, or if that person is trying to steal from me so they can get more drugs, whatever, then that harms me. Then we can, then we're going to have a problem. Then we can talk about it. Absolutely. But if that person is sitting at home, smoking a joint, I do not care. Right. I seriously do not care. It does not make any any difference to me if that person's at home getting high mm-hmm. or or whatever. That's their decision. And if they're not harming anybody, leave them alone, man. If that's how they want to live their life, let's do it. Come on. Live your life how you want to live your life. Exactly. And and also you could say like like heroin and meth, like those are horrible, horrible things. And I hope nobody ever does them. Like like I really do sincerely but I am not willing to allow the government to make laws over what me or anyone else can put into our own bodies. I feel like like that's just crossing a line. Whether I really hope no one ever does heroin or not, it's not the government's business to say what they can put into their own body. And I think, again, that's where the body of Christ comes in, serving these people, you know, getting them treatment if need be or you know what whatever we can do to be restoring this earth but yeah locking addicts up in jail is certainly not helping anybody or like you could see in prohibition in the 20s which i think is a great example because even people who believe in the war on drugs you can say well what about prohibition and they can say like oh yeah oh my gosh it was like such a stupid crazy thing that who what were we thinking back then Without realizing that it's like, well, it's like the exact same thing. (laughs) 
right now. Like nobody learned the lesson from that failure. And not to mention that at least back then they realized that it would be a violation of the constitution to pass these laws about what someone can and can't put into their own body. And they had to make constitutional amendments. Oh, federal drug laws are highly unconstitutional, highly unconstitutional. That's what the 10th Amendment's for. Now, if a state wants to pass drug laws, it's, it's left up to them. But federal drug laws, anybody that is arrested for a federal drug law should be able to fight this to the teeth because it's unconstitutional. They do not have, and federal gun laws are the same way. Federal gun laws are unconstitutional, but people don't, don't, you know, don't know enough about it to, to fight it or they just go right along with it. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you brought up heroin. When I first got into libertarianism, I was like, whatever about weed, I don't care. But I, it was hard for me to understand how, why shouldn't we pass laws against heroin use? It's, that's a horrible drug. Weed is a plant. Me too. I was like, isn't that like saying it's okay? <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. So you're just not going to pass laws to to keep these people from taking heroin. They're going to take heroin regardless if there's a law. Right. And locking them up is not going to change their mind on it either. Right. And I think we've gotten ourselves into a really, I don't know what the word would be for it. Dangerous. I don't know. But like a terrible situation where... In our culture, in America, now law and morality are seen as the same thing. And maybe it's like this in other places. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, I can testify in our culture, law and morality are seen as the same thing. So it's kind of rather than, than thinking through if something is actually moral or immoral, or if I actually have the right to do this or someone else has the right to do this, we forego that thought process. For just letting the state to decide, well, is it legal? Then it's moral. Is it illegal? Then it's immoral, you know? And, and we don't actually spend the time thinking about what the right thing to do is and how the right way to address problems is either. Right. And towards the end of your article, you talk about human rights or property rights. And we touched on it a little bit earlier. But if a person owns a gun, that's their property. They're peaceful people whether they're just out shooting uh, targets or even hunting, it's, it's still their property. Human rights are property rights. I love that because it's, it is so true that if it's my property, you do not have, if I'm not using anything with this property to harm anybody else, you do not have any right to come and take my property. Yeah, there's so much confusion these days on what is a human right. You have people saying that, Healthcare is a human right or affordable housing is a human right. And I don't think the definition of what is a human right is ever talked about or talked about enough because people just can say, well, well, anything that I think people should have is a human right. Well, yeah, I think people should have those things too, but let's get back to a definition of what a human right is. So a, a right is something that you are born with, that by virtue of being a human being, you already have it. Nobody can give it to you. Nobody can take it away from you, but it can be violated. So things like healthcare, you're not born with healthcare. Like other people have to give that to you. So that is not a right. Your only right is property rights, which, which starts with ownership of yourself. So my basic human right is that I own myself and nobody else has the right to hurt me or kill me. And then with my ownership of myself, I can work to earn money or I could make things, I could grow things. So with virtue of property rights and me owning myself, those things that have been created out of my labor are my property that I own, then nobody else has the right to take from me or to destroy or to damage. So th those are the only ways that you can violate human rights. Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me interject something because with everything that's going on right now, and I've been asked why, if, as a Christian and you're following Jesus, why do you, are you so concerned with the liberty movement? Why are you so concerned with liberty? Listen, Jesus Christ created me with that liberty. So I take it personally. I, I mean, if he created me with this, with the freedom as to live my life and to follow him, and somebody's tried to, to 
get in the way of me living my life, I take it very seriously. Individually, me, myself, he created me with this freedom. So I, I'm very serious about the liberty movement because this is what Jesus gave me. This is what Jesus created me with. And what is that What is that verse in Galatians about? It's, it's your favorite verse. That, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Boom. Might <laughs> drop. And then there it is right there. He created us with this freedom, with this liberty. Now, we should take it seriously then. Absolutely. And for the sake of other people, too. Like, I, I want everyone to realize that God created you with ownership of yourself and property rights. And for a government to come and violate those, no matter what the reason, yeah, it, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Exactly. <laughs> you have to get back to square one. Like, people kind of think of laws in this kind of minute kind of way where, like, yeah, raw milk, some people could possibly get sick of off of that. So yeah, let's make it illegal. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but it's like, okay, you, you have to realize the bigger picture of that. You own yourself. You own the product of your labor. Um, what you decide to put into your own body, what you create, no, nobody has the right to hurt you, to hurt your stuff. And that's kind of the, the foundation of everything. And it's not it, like you said, God created us that way. So that is essential to establishing his kingdom on earth is respecting other people and realizing that we have to let others make choices for their own best interest. And nobody has the right to make decisions over your body except for you. And in turn, like we're, we're asked to like, lay ourselves down like, like Jesus did, that our, our lives should be a living sacrifice. And I, I can't do that if I don't own myself. Just like um, people want higher taxes or especially taxes on billionaires to go toward healthcare, th things for the poor. First of all, they don't go to those things. Like all, most of our taxes go to war, no matter how great you think taxes are and all the people they help. That's not really, <laughs> that's not really what they're doing. I tried to explain that to somebody one day. Well, if we're not taxed, then nobody's going to be helped. I said, they're not using that money to help anybody. Think about it. I mean, you could go like unemployment uh, checks or welfare or whatever. They're not, that money is being used to kill other people. They're not taxing us to help other people. Right. Like a, like a very small percentage of that might go to welfare, but the vast majority of it goes to killing people and to paying bureaucrats. Which, which, if you think about it, if they weren't stealing that money from us, we would be more capable of helping other people if we choose to. I know. Can you even imagine? The vast majority of us do want to help other people. And I've seen it a lot, especially with what's going on. There's over 30 million people out of work right now. Yeah. And these people are being helped by other people, not by the government. People are sitting around waiting on a government check and it's not coming. <laughs> You give you're going to offer twelve hundred dollars of mask over the billions of dollars you gave to big corporations. Come on, man, it's twelve hundred dollars. That that barely pays my rent. Mm -hmm. That's not going to help anybody. Now, if I had that money back, I could go help somebody pay their rent if they're out of work. I could go give them or, or go buy them some groceries if I had that money back. The Mytel miracles here in, in Memphis is amazing to me. What they've been doing with uh, donations, they've been buying gift cards for like local grocery stores for so people could go buy groceries and it's happening because people are giving to them they're they're not coerced into it they're doing it willingly they're giving money to these people or to this organization to help other people now you might not know anybody personally that that needs some help but they do and they can find these people and they can help them with your with your donations and i love it i mean i the stuff they post on Facebook, man, I'm just, I'm not, it just, it just gives me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much more beautiful than hearing about somebody being on food stamps. Like there's a reason that those two things feel different to us because one is people out of the goodness of their heart that God created them with and out of their own free will are choosing to make personal sacrifices to help somebody else in need versus 
the government who has robbed us of all of those things, taken our money by force, and kind of given some people a tiny portion of that. And it's like, it robs the person on the receiving end of their dignity too, you know? Like, it's just bad all around. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close with this. And you ended your article with this, and I love it. Stop looking for political violence to be used against your enemies and start looking for better ways to love them. I love that. So how do we how do we get there? I mean, so the first part of the sentence is stop trying to use political violence against your enemies. And I think that is the major thing. The first major hurdle that most people need to get over is if there's a problem, look for a way to solve it that doesn't ask for the government to use violence because anything you're saying, there should be a law, the police should be involved. Any thought you might think like that, you are asking for violence to be committed against your neighbor. So the first step is to let go of that. Stop thinking problems can be solved through the government fixing it for you, through there being a law, through the police showing up and stopping people. Let go of all of that. And The second part, I think, is more complicated. I mean, that's about finding solutions, but it all comes down to loving our neighbors better. And really, this is a big topic, but but seeing them as other human beings created in God's image, that you don't know any better for their lives than they do. You are not, like, Obviously, some people are experts in certain topics, and we can learn things (laughs) from experts, and someone might know more than I do about certain things, but that doesn't mean that they get to have authority to take away my human rights of my ownership of my own body and my own property. So yeah, just the assumption that, that somebody should be in charge, somebody should be telling everyone else what to do. But actually knowing people on an individual basis and seeking to really love them as best you can and seeking, you know, I I really believe that the body of Christ is made up of many parts and all of us are going to function totally differently. So I can't really make a blanket statement on um, you should follow steps A, B, and C. But I do think everyone has their own calling on their heart that God has laid on them of how them in their community are meant to interact with people to make this world a better place and to to restore it and bring God's kingdom to earth. I love how he uses all of us in different different ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so there's, there's things that I might do that you're not going to do, and you're going to do things that I'm not going to do, but you're being directed by Christ through the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And it's, it's, that's one of the coolest aspects to me is how he, he uses us in different ways. You know, and that's that's one thing that I've, I've loved about this project is that we've got so many different perspectives and so many different people coming to help with this project that may be able to reach somebody that I'm not going to be able to. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, I can't. People, some people are going to relate to things that I have to say and some people aren't. And those people that aren't, are going to relate to things that Abby has to say, or Scott, mm-hmm. or John. You know, everybody that's involved with this project, PJ, all of them. You know, and even with the memes that that, that our, our guys are and gal is creating. Misty is one of our meme creators as well. Memes are available can reach people in a different way than me and you sitting talking to them. You know what I mean? It's weird, right? Yeah. But he can use he uses all of this. Yeah. And it's not for us. It's not it's not for our own glorification. It's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Right. It's all for him. And no human can be in charge of it and direct us all for to what we're supposed to do. Well, you said what you were talking about earlier, it reminded me of something that Mike Meharry said, and he was quoting somebody else. He said if if you're calling the cops on somebody, and I'm paraphrasing of course, but if you're calling the cops on somebody, think before you do it. Because what you're calling them over, are you okay with them dying? Yeah. Because that could escalate quickly and that could happen. And it happens. It happens. You know, there was there was a lady and I, I, I want to say Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe it was Dallas. I don't remember. But somebody called the cops for a welfare check on this person because they haven't seen them. She was asleep on the couch. She'd been playing uh, video games with her nephew. 
and she got woke up by them coming through her yard. They were in the backyard and they shot her through the window and killed her. She wasn't doing anything. She was asleep. If what you're calling a person or calling the cops on a person for, if you're not willing for them to die over that specific incident, don't call the cops. And that was the whole point of, the, of the, what he was saying and or that he was quoting somebody else saying, but it's true. Yeah. Like if you really pay attention to it, which is like super depressing if you decide to, but yeah, there there's stories every single day of cops shooting innocent unarmed people or even, you know, choking them out, them dying from being tased, all, all kinds of stuff. Like, like cops kill people all the time. Okay, I got what he got. He got choked out for selling cigarettes. Right, exactly. And he was telling them, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He was telling them, I can't breathe. And he died. I mean, it's, oh man. Horrible, horrible tragedies. So, so yeah, I mean, really, I, I feel like, you know, there's certain instances where, like, if your house gets robbed, you have to call the police for the insurance company to do anything, which is unfortunate. But personally, I, I'm not calling the cops ever. Like, I <laughs> I don't care. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that, and and I don't believe in that whole system, and I'm not going to use it. I don't. I feel like maybe we end this on a sad note. <laughs> and and I apologize for everybody listening, but I mean it was important to, to talk I know about. We did. Abby, man, I am I am so thankful for your work on this project and the the work you put into writing articles. We we're, we're getting a lot of great feedback from the stuff you're putting out there and everybody involved with this project has been so awesome. Like there's no way I could do this on my own. There's no way. And I'm so thankful for y'all's willing. Well, I'm so thankful you created it. And I'm so like the community that we've kind of created in the bad Roman project is just super awesome. Like I couldn't be more happy to be a part of it. I am very thankful for each and every one of y'all. I mean, y'all have no idea how much <laughs> I, I love and adore every one of y'all. And it's just, this has been a lot of fun. So when y'all get a chance, go check out Abby's article, go, go to our blog. She's got some other stuff on there as well and read her, read her stuff. She's, she's pretty talented folks. And I'm extremely thankful. Thank you, Abby, for coming on the show. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for joining us this week on the bad Roman podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.